When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everybody, and the warmest welcome to The Ruck, the Times and Sunday Times podcast and top-rating podcast. Thanks for downloading us. And uh, before we go on, if you want to react to what you hear today or want to make suggestions for future rucks or tell us anything at all, you can write to us at theruck at sunday-times.co.uk. It'd be great to hear from you. What can we say about today's panel? Good-looking, clean-shaven, Fashion conscious, hair by Weller. No, none of those. Um, but we've got Nick Kane from the Rugby Paper making a, a welcome comeback. Al Dimmock from Rugby World, one of our most loyal podders. And Adam Hathaway from The People and, as we said last week, all other freelance outlets. Today, Adam's wearing one of the veterans of the catwalk, his black leather jacket. Uh, now in its fourth decade, Adam. Bought it in. Uh, I think I think it's in Richard Sharp place. It was in the sixties, definitely. Bought in the sixties, made of finest North American bison, and so popular that when Adam is knocked back for going on reporting tours, the jacket sometimes goes without him. At the moment, it's all happening. Uh, as you all know, we just had the quarterfinals of two European competition. Sensational stuff, lots of great play, lots of issues and fuss and bother. We also had the Challenge Cup quarterfinals, the ring fence controversy. We've had firestorms over three separate affairs. The acquittal of Paddy Jackson and Stuart Oldin in the infamous, uh, as it's now become, Ulster trial. We've had racist chanting allegedly at one of the allegedly friendliest grounds at Parque Scarlet's. And we've had Espana Gate, still the biggest fuss I've ever seen on social media, as the Spanish rugby community and all their supporters, many of them, are still trying to, or still hoping against hope that they make the World Cup. Also in the USA, Major League Rugby is about to start. There are teams from San Diego, Utah, Austin, New Orleans, Glendale, Houston, Seattle, and New York. Back to the Aviva Premiership and Pro 14 we go this week with Bath playing in the clash at Twickenham. But is everything right at the great club? A recent uh, paper appeared uh, from a distinguished Bath member who called uh, into question all sorts of things at the club. Is the chain of command working? Is the coaching operation working now that uh, Todd Blackadder is on his own? There's allegedly no connection with past players and the glories of the past. And the squad recruitment has obviously got a big question mark against it. So Bath come to play the clash uh, this weekend. Can we start, guys, just to catch up with where we've been lately? Starting with Al, I think. Just tell us one thing, Al, you've seen that you loved and one thing you didn't like or disliked or hated in your recent work. Uh, well, in, in my recent work, what I've loved, and I'm sure we'll come talk about it later, was uh, 
the game on Sunday, uh, Leinster defeating Saracens, there was a try in that one that Dan Levy scampered through to score. That was uh, a pass from him at the base of the base of the ruck to James Ryan, the second row, who passed it straight back to him and he scampered through for a try. Fantastic skills from the forwards. Really good. Disliked the use of what I'm going to call magic spells. Uh, Peter Romani seemed to have an invisibility cloak on for most of the Munster game. Uh got away with Harry Carey at the ruck there and Dan Carter somehow hypnotised the referees into allowing him to throw one of the most blatant forward passes I've seen in a long time to score for Racing. It wasn't the greatest weekend for referees as we saw at the boxing and uh, many many of the other rugby games. Mm. Nick, good and bad? The thing I loved was uh, Andrew Conway's wonder try for for Munster. against Toulon uh, it was great to see an act of virtuoso brilliance and it was brilliant from start to finish 45 meters from the touchline to touch down settle a game rather than have to watch 41 phases of a move before a bloke trundles over from a foot <laughs> uh, disliked um I dislike the influence that referees, we talk about the difficulty that teams have away, winning away from home in big competitions, whether it's Six Nations or European Cup. We saw it again, in my view, in the quarterfinals this time round. I thought the refereeing at Park East Scarlets, I thought the Scarlets did deserve their win. But, you know, allowing Tad Byrne to escape stone-cold yellow cards. Even Wayne Pivak said after the game that he was lucky to do so. Okay, the, the referees taking a pounding as uh, as they should when not up to it. Adam, good and bad? <clears throat> I'm going to do it the other way around. The bad was definitely getting back from Dublin on Sunday night from the Saracens game. I've had a bit of a mare recently with travel, as you know. Um, so our flight was back to Stansted. It was delayed for two hours. Luckily, the bar near the gate stays open until the plane's gone. That's a tip for anyone who gets delayed at Dublin Airport again. Um but there was still, we got off the ground at about midnight and there was still about 60 Saris fans waiting for a flight to Luton. I don't know if they still got back or whether they're still in the bar. And the love of the weekend, a different sport, I'm afraid, golf, it is Masters Week. Um, the delay at Dublin Airport, maybe we could watch Ian Paul to win the Houston Open and get into uh, Augusta, absolutely fantastic. Okay, that's all, all good ones. Sorry, I, I didn't say it had to be rugby, so clearly for me, um, I didn't see much rugby at all on the weekend, frankly, but... Um, I did see Dele Alli score one of the most brilliant goals, uh, typical of the of the man. That was just pure brilliance. Afterwards, he marched over to the Chelsea end and stared at them and cupped his ear. And he got an absolute savaging from gestures, words and aggression from the Chelsea fans. Now, if you think that that's the bad thing, you're wrong. They had to have it. They had it coming. Let's go straight on to Saracens. Adam, you were there. Saracens' demise in the tournament, is this part of a a wider problem or did they just do the best they could on the day? Um, Well, I think you go back to that spell they had around Christmas time and they lost seven on the spin in all competitions. I think they did well to get to the quarterfinals. They're doing well to be second in the Premiership. Most teams would kill to have their problems. Obviously, they've lost a few big names. Billy Vunipola has been out most of the season. Michael Rhodes is massive loss for them. But on Sunday, I think they went out on their shields. I think they gave it a crack and just done by a better team, as Mark McCall said afterwards. Al, went out on their shields. What a brilliant pop paper expression that is, and I, and I mean it. But Le- Leinster currently a, a, um, a division above anybody else? Just the way that some of their key players stood up. In fact, in fact 
there were lots of headlines from guys like Dan Levy, who at seven was phenomenal. Um, he looked like a busted turnip at the end of the game. Uh, he had a big egg on his head. He put in a fantastic performance. James Ryan, as I mentioned earlier, also a phenomenal display. Sexton is Sexton. There was interestingly some talk about targeting of Sexton uh, after the game, the, yeah. which, I mean, that's... You're going to play Saris, they're going to come up in your face. That's exactly how Saris have played for years. So it's not something that you can say too much of. But actually, the thing about Leinster and that display was the support players around those phenomenal stars really put in a number. So Devin Toner, who's the other lock, I have. it's been a while since I've seen him put a display like that in Europe. Jordy Murphy in the back row. Levy could do everything he could do because Murphy was putting in a hell of a shift. And that's... Saris didn't have that at the weekend. You know, key players were were all right, but it was a collective from Leicester. You had your hand up there, Adam. I was just talking about this targeting Sexton thing. If I was the Leinster coach, I'd be upset if my fly-off wasn't getting targeted because it means you weren't worried about him. Surely, surely the, 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 every fly-off and every match ever played has been targeted by the opposition. Yeah, exactly. What are they, what are they so whinging about? Yeah. The, the moans that go on about Sexton being, you know, being targeted from whether it's Joe Schmidt or from Leinster... It's a load of rubbish, basically. Right, we're coming up with all sorts of great expressions. Now, bust turnip as a cracker. Nick, the pressure's now on you to come up with a great line. Let's just go on to, to, to Scarlet's just a, a little while. Um, I was at Scarlet's. Um, i never seen the place like it, or ha- at least I haven't seen Clanethley fans like it since the Strandy Park days and, and a long time before they moved as well. It was just a, a magnificent. There was just even a, a kind of song that we hadn't heard before called, I think it's called Yama Ahid, which means it's by David Iwan, the um, the Welsh um, music star. And it means we are still here. And that was quite an apt thing for the Scarlets because they didn't have to play well. Um, Ken Owens at hooker and leader gave the most amazing performance I've seen for many a year. Crowd were right behind it. Hadley Parks of Slinethley clearly coming on. Uh, I'm always a bit suspicious of New Zealand imports. In fact, I'm suspicious of New Zealanders full stop, whether they're imports or not. But he did really well. The pack may have Jake Ball back by the next round. And I tell you something, Leinster clearly will be favourites to play the Scarlets. But I don't think that Scarlets are without a chance because they've got a passion and an organisation. Um, it's still on a bit of a shoestring, but... They played really well. Munster, Nick, fortuitous win in some ways, but a typical Munster win in others. I think that in terms of uh, in terms of run of play, yes, I think fortuitous in some ways. But in terms of really razor sharp execution, they were the people who uh, who, who struck. And um, I, I I thought that the leadership from Murray, from Omani, who always gets away with murder. Um, but their leadership was fantastic. And also they had, I mean, Keatley is not a great fly half, but he is much steadier than Trin Duck, who once again, you know, did, there were flashes of, of, of brilliance from him, the offload that put Bastero clear for Ashton's try, but two, missing touch for a professional fly half is the closest thing you can get to criminal on a rugby field. He did it twice, once from a penalty in a crucial position where uh, Toulon could have ratcheted up pressure and the other obviously just before Conway's try. One of the great overrated fly halves along, in my opinion, with Fred Michelak. Yeah, I think 
you almost do a disservice to Conway uh, with that. I mean, it was it was a poor kick, and Francois Trandouk will be looking back on that and cringing for some time. He's got a lot in his his hall of horrors, to be fair, uh, Francois Trandouk of late. But we have to give, as mentioned by Moose at the top there, uh, the catch from Conway to just not let that go out. It's phenomenal. If you get a chance to see a still image of where he caught that ball, it's fantastic. And then, of course, weaving through everyone. I saw it described um, by a writer in Ireland as a miracle moment. And it was just that. That's one of those moments that actually the Champions Cup has been crying out for. We need more moments like that to make to make things seem spiked with memorable moments because that game, Toulon could have had a stranglehold on it and there will be discussions about how the game was officiated. I mean, that first half lasted 56 minutes, I think it was clocked at, uh, from going to the TMO. I know Adam's got a lot to say about um, TMOs. Um, but Munster need credit for sticking in and trying to claim moments like that because Toulon really saw some stuff fall their way. Semi Rodrada dropping the ball over the line that's the kind of thing they need to be putting those away and Munster seized their moment but there was uh, also a great moment uh, from from Toulon because uh, Ashton's Chris Ashton's tracking run of yeah. Bastereau when he went from outside to inside read it absolutely perfectly was a very very fine try as well so there were two cracking tries in that game it's one of those things that actually it, it was tight and, and probably would have gone almost certainly gone the other way had the home advantage being different but I, th- I agree with both of you the tournament needed something TMOs Adam well, um, before we get to that what's French for kick it into Rosette <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was just unbelievable and on the TMOs there one side of me thinks you've got to get the decisions right you know we've gone through all this in cricket um, but if you're going to take as long as they have some of those decisions, is it worth just doing away with them altogether? Yeah, it's a total lack of investment in the system. That's the problem. They don't have enough camera angles. It isn't slick enough. The whole communication process is a joke. You know, if you compare it with American football, there is so much that rugby, professional rugby, we're now 25 years into this, more than 25 years in. You bring in something like the TMO and you have got to invest in it to make sure that it's as good as it can be. At the moment, it's a sort of botch. You're absolutely right. You may as well leave it up to the ref with all the, you know, the flaws that there are of of the human condition, not being able to, you know, have laser eyesight and so on and so forth. Because at the moment, half the TMOs haven't got laser eyesight. Yeah, exactly. I'll uh, just just uh, just touch on the last one: Claremont um, versus Racing. Racing Club fought very well and came through. Can they upset the uh, Irish procession? Well, if their key players play at the top of their ability, they can certainly give themselves a chance. Um, there was a mo- there was a moment in that game where uh, Claremont at home, uh, in front of their phenomenal support, were leading Racing 17-16. And who comes onto the pitch to change things up but Dan Carter? Now, some people, and I'd probably count myself on this, I just assumed that Dan Carter was going to kick his heels for the, the rest of his time in France and maybe... Maybe try and do a little bit here and there, but just I'd already lined himself up a new contract in Japan. Completely wrong. He came on and completely changed the game. I made a joke at the start, at the top of this, about how Dan Carter uh, had thrown a horrendous forward pass for Mark Andrew to score a try. But to be honest, that's the way the tide was going. And there was a moment in that game where he made a phenomenal break that you would not have expected a Dan Carter of his age to do. And he wasn't the only one. Leone Nakarawa went through for a try. Maxi Machino seemed to have his finger on the pulse for the rest of that second half before trudging off. 
there's just a sense that if their key players can do something, there's question marks over some of them. Still not convinced that Virami Vakatawa is a is an outside centre, but he, he's doing a job there. They need a lot to click, but they've got the players that can carry the flag. I definitely agree with that. And just one, one more um, line on the European Cup, European Champions Cup, and that is that first time I've seen uh, in the debate about the desperate need to cut down matches with the Premiership not moving and the international game not moving, I've seen the suggestions that it'll be the European Cup that uh, is is, is uh, truncated. So it needs, as Al said, all the great incidents and all the great games. But that would be an absolute travesty, wouldn't it? When you consider the magic that we've had out of the uh, European Cup and that you've got a a competition like the Anglo-Welsh dragging its backside through season after season, you know, it's just a nonsense. I, I agree with that, but I now think that something's got to go and I've, I'm beyond caring what it is. OK, the other competition, the European Challenge Cup. Decent round. Uh, Gloucester won at Connaught. Uh, Adam, um, they, they got the job done. Um do we think the Gloucester are really up there with the greats at the moment? They're nowhere near. Um, they've been so up and down this season. Um, the way they've played, they could either finish fourth or ninth, I think. Um, but there's a tough old place to go to and get a result, so fair play to them. Yeah, they did. Um, Cardiff, um, at last, uh, seemed to be coming together, having named a coach that no one in Christendom had heard of, their, their new coach. Uh, they celebrated uh, by winning well in, in Edinburgh. Also, uh, Nick uh, Connor, uh, Newcastle still going strong, beat Breve, got a home semi and um, must must have a chance of, of silverware. Yes, I mean, Toby Flood uh, is obviously back there and he was pulling strings pretty effectively in that game. But what what's impressive about Newcastle is, is that they're now uh, absolutely an all-court side. They've got strengths in every department and depth for the first time. One thing about uh, Gloucester, I'm not uh, convinced that uh, Gloucester are, are as ho-hum, perhaps, as we heard. Henry Trinder's try in that game against Connor was, a uh, again, flashing footwork and uh, a brilliant finish. Um They've got something about them at the moment. They've got a couple of young dog forwards in uh, in Paledri and Clark. Uh, they've got Slater there. I think that they've got more of a spine in that team than they've had for a very long time. Right. Th- thank you. Now, um, Al, Edinburgh uh, at home to the Blues. Edinburgh on a big run of form. This was meant to be the one where they finally sort of br- burst through the paper ceiling or whatever it is. Um, must have been very disappointing for them. Well... It certainly would have hinted at uh, it would have been a, a genuine, tangible sign that things had turned around under Richard Cockrell. Um, remember that this is an Edinburgh side that before the massive valley that, uh, of form that they've had for the last few years were in the were in the upper reaches of the champ of the Champions Cup. You know they'd gone deep into Europe, uh, and we all remember that incredible game against Racing where it seemed to be 105 each in the, in the last five minutes of that game. Um, Edinburgh have been some way off that for some time, but um, I was up in Edinburgh last week speaking to some people. There is a genuine sense, particularly amongst the younger players, that there's something starting to shift there under Richard Cockrell. This will be seen as an opportunity gone, particularly how much they were talking themselves up beforehand. It was a home game. Uh, Fraser McKenzie, who'd come in uh, after the turbulent start to be captain of the side, was in his 100th game a real stalwart of that team. There's a sense that maybe there was something building. They've let that slip. However, their chances of playoff places 
um, in the knockout rounds of the of the league is still on for them. And certainly there is a sense, although they'll be disappointed there, that Richard Cockrell's got people doing the right things now in Edinburgh. Sure, sure. Guys, we're generally quite lighthearted, if opinionated, on, on the ruck. Just a couple of stories that have appeared lately. The acquittal of the Ulster players, and let's be let's emphasise that, they were acquitted in a, in a court of law and therefore are, are free men. But there is also in Ireland a massive backlash against them, I think on the grounds of their actual behaviour, not that it transgressed the law, but it transgressed certain standards that people have. Our colleague, uh, Brendan Fanning, in The Independent in Ireland, wrote an absolutely magnificent piece yesterday saying that the Ulster lads may have been found innocent, but they should still be kicked out because of the awful example they allegedly set. Do you think that's double punishment, Nick? Or is that um, should the the goodness of the game and, and the hero nature of its players be considered? It's a very, very difficult uh, subject. Um, my view is is that uh, you know they were found not guilty of the crime. The prosecution failed to prove the rape charge beyond reasonable doubt. My feeling is is that if the IRFU terminates their contracts, as Brendan uh, suggests, they could find themselves facing uh, unfair dismissal lawsuits. The other thing that I, I found in interesting is that it was suggested that the sponsors uh, around the uh, the Irish Union uh, would be extremely unhappy if the uh, contracts, you know, remained. Um, and it was suggested that these guys might go and apply their trade elsewhere in France or England. Why would that be any different? Yes, it's a fair point. I mean, I, I disagree with you and I agree with Brendan Fanning that some of the, the details which came out, which are not disputed, I just think that that is just a shocking example. But uh, if Ireland get rid of their contracts for club and country, it is then up to the union in the whatever country they go to, to decide whether they're welcome there. Mm -hmm. And I think if Ireland banish them, well, pressure will be on to the other union. Al, over to you. promised myself I wasn't going to talk about it because I feel it's too big an issue to discuss very briefly. But now is the time, um, and you can say whatever you want about the employment of these guys and what happens to them in the future. It is a clear signpost that now is the time to start discussing issues publicly of toxic masculinity, of what is acceptable chat amongst groups of guys. And a lot of this will come down to WhatsApp messages and oh, it's just a bit of harmless fun between guys and the language that people use. But it's time to talk about how young people learn about consent and sex, how it's discussed within groups of young men and also and, and young women as well, but also the idea of toxic masculinity. It's, it's a much bigger discussion than just this, this period here, but it's something that we need to start talking about seriously. We don't want to go too far into that. There was another incident at the Scarlets of alleged racism. There was um, quite a number of Scarlets fans on, on, uh, on Twitter and social media saying that they deplored what they saw or heard a small group of Scarlet fans issuing racial abuse throughout a match. Very, very difficult subject. But surely this sort of behaviour is totally unacceptable. Rugby has to be absolutely immaculate. And surely that if these people are identified, they'll be banned from, from the ground. Uh, yes, I, I, you'd hope that's exactly what will happen. And fingers crossed that is what happens. I agree with you in that rugby particularly needs to stand up to this because it's peddled this line for so many years of rugby's morality 
that rugby is the sport. And I'll be honest, I've spoken about this a few times now, about how it grates on me massively. That is something that if you're going to pedal that, you cannot hide behind something else and say, lads will be lads. Um, it counts for so much more than just that. So the great thing to see is that fans are fingering other fans and saying, these are the people that are doing this, track them down and find it. Okay, thanks lads. And um, let, let's move on. One of the big hot rugby topics at the moment is ring fencing, in which the premiership clubs would like, so it is alleged, to pickle themselves in vinegar and stay in the premiership forever, whether or not they win all their games or lose all their games. Now, nothing winds people up more than that. Uh, Nick, um, I think it's fair to say over the years, ring fencing hasn't been your favourite topic You've been rigorously, like me, against it. What's the latest, in your opinion, and do you still stand as strong as you used to? Absolutely, I stand very much as strong as I used to. In some ways, the talk is a uh, is shrouded in a mist of uh, about being a symptom of economic pressures on the Premiership clubs, but ring fencing is definitely not the answer. The Exodus story tells you everything that you need to know. There's a piece in the Times today in which, after the Saracens, uh, the decision by the, Sa- the Saracens, uh, South African part owners to uh, to withdraw, uh, that suggests that um, uh, the, the, all the Premiership clubs are in dire straits. They're they're all, with the exception of Exeter, in the red. Uh, but really, this is this is about. It's about spiralling wages in terms of the increase. It's about good housekeeping, living within your means, which most of these premiership clubs are definitely not doing. But Exeter are. They're over a million quid at the end of a trading season in the black. So how do they manage it where everybody else fails to? Nick, what what if you take it on the field, though? If you do not get your core business of playing rugby... Um, good enough. Why do you deserve to stay? Never mind your financial situation. If you're making the fortune, or if you're not. Listen, I couldn't agree more. You know, sp- sport for me should be a meritocracy, not a closed shop. Adam, where do you stand on the ring fence? It just really smacks of them trying to get their mates Bristol up into the Premiership, then pull the drawbridge up. There's 13 clubs who've got shares in the Premiership. London Irish obviously going down. There's talk of a playoff game next season. Um, Either they should make a 13-team premiership or they should really go the whole hog and do it properly and make it a 10-team premiership. The playoff is, uh, is, is a joke because there's no way that a team that is already at uh, premiership level, even though, even though it's lost a lot of games, is it ever going to lose to a team that's still got its championship players, hasn't even begun to sign premiership? Al, uh, it seems to be 3-0 at the moment. Are you going to make it 4? Uh, I might play devil's advocate on this one for the for the sake of listeners, at least. Um Certainly, and also, the more and more times you hear Exeter thrown up, the more and more times you hear whispers in the back saying, well, what about London Welsh? It's almost getting to a stage now where maybe Exeter Chiefs are the exception that proves the rule um, on this one. Um, certainly, I've heard voices talk from a uh, spectator's point of view. Uh, ben Ryan is a columnist in, in Rugby World magazine, uh, work with Ben every month, and he wrote a column for us recently in which he said he believes that ring fencing could be a good thing long term because um, he's sick of seeing teams that are risk-averse when they come into the Premiership 
there's certainly or or teams relying too much on a benefactor to survive like London Welsh running themselves in the ground I mean he he tempers his view by the end of his column by saying that you know maybe there's a happy medium in between it's it's a view that a lot of remember as well that whichever clubs have come up and made a success it sounds very much like those clubs that have come up and made a success are on the bandwagon for ring fencing because they want to protect their lot in life. Oh, I agree. And that's the, the sad thing. Worcester and Exeter were, f- were f- fulminating when they were in the second division and when they were on their way up that, that the drawbridge should not go down. As soon as it goes, they want to put it up behind them. London, London Welsh incident, and I've spoken to Ben about the column, which was well written. <clears throat> London Welsh is a total one-off. Uh, they Three or four insiders there got a totally inflated opinion of their own ability, way divorced to reality, and have played the wrong card. And then now you'll find any any member of London Welsh that the club is back as it always was growing membership growing etc how, how sad it would it would be to see a team like Coventry for example who have been through hell and back who have been through what I imagine London Welsh hope they will end up going through and that they've been at the abyss and they've pulled their way up they've just got promotion to the championship they could potentially see the door slammed in their face we've seen Ealing Trailfinders now here's where it becomes an issue in that not many teams have the financial ability, but they might have that one-off season. Ealing Trailfinders have had an absolute blinder of a season in the championship. They, it looks like they'll, yeah, it's almost certain that they'll lose out to Bristol coming up. Where do we stand on the idea that a team like that could go up and then reach too far and fall back down again? And where do we stand? Or, or in fact, is that just part of the rich tapestry of rugby? It, it, it is. And uh, if you deserve to go up as a rugby team on the field, you deserve to go up, in my opinion. I'll just give you one more point. This panic factor of relegation, or oh, we never come back, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Only four clubs have played every season in the Premiership. That's Wasps, Leicester, Bath and Gloucester. All the others have been down and they've bounced back. One of the reasons that they have bounced back, to be to be fair, is the fact that they have their P shares, which means that they, when they come back up, they are advantaged uh, in the champions in their championship season by about uh, having a, 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 a the ability to pay about fifty percent more than uh, their rivals. And the worst thing about any club, say an Ealing coming up. And the thing that is reprehensible about the cartel in the Premiership is that when that club comes up and earns the right to come up, they are disadvantaged when they come up because they don't have P shares and therefore are playing with a uh, a salary base of probably, again, 30 to 40% less than those Premiership clubs. There is one but- thing. Oh, there is one thing on this as well. Before anyone even talks about solidifying ideas... I would love to see a genuine, open, forensic analysis of every club that's currently in the Premiership's finances to see where they are. Open book. Because, you know, we've seen slipped under the carpet recently in the UK and in France, people getting fined for stepping over a salary cap. You know, if we're going to... That's one of these things where I'd like to see across the board, clean, full, open investigation about that. I think finally, I think finally... People give lists of rugby clubs that are making losses. Almost every football club does. Every cricket club does. It's just one of those things that happens in professional sports sometimes. Every time a, a, an event is uh, is awarded to a city, a rapacious band of thieves, rosette salesmen, hoteliers and aircraft and train companies rush in and coin it at the expense of the travelling public. And I think it's about time 
that people who were awarded cities and hoteliers and the whole lot of them who were awarded major sportering events have to sign a form saying they won't pull down the services and put up the costs. On the weekend, I thought boxing fans had it horrendously from Great Western Railway. The scenes at Cardiff Station were shocking. Al, you travel to many, many events. Do you sometimes get cheesed off with stupid kickoff times, complete ignorance of the of the interest of the spectators? I almost cringe myself inside out whenever I've got to go to a, a relatively later kickoff in Cardiff because uh, you said it was the same for the boxing and that's a night event, but a lot of the time it's mid-afternoon kickoffs for rugby and it's still absolute carnage. And you think, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'll see if there's any room at the inn. No, you're going to need a couple of bags of swag to try and get a hotel room for a night in Cardiff. Um, and that is one of the, actually, this one of those things when we've had the bidding for the World Cup, Rugby World Cup process, that one of the things that was put on the ticket, I certainly heard it from the Irish uh, guys, is that there would be across the board, they'd agree for no one to take the mick with hotel prices. I would love to see an accord of sorts signed in major cities during the Six Nations, at least, um, in the in the capitals there. That's a very good point. Incidentally, that um, the Irish bid for the for the 2023 World Cup did suggest that they'd gone round all the hoteliers and that they'd promised to to play fair. Apparently, that item, according to the hoteliers I spoke to, it wasn't worth the paper it wasn't written on. It, it, it would have been the biggest rip off. Just in case the citizens of Cardiff think we're um, singling them out, it's a rip off wherever you go. Twickenham is is a shambles on match days because it's in the it's just circled by people's back gardens. Um, the only one is Paris. Who they tend to uh, have a sort of diffident air above it, but they have got um, about it. But they have got thousands and thousands of hotels, and uh, no one wants to go and watch France now anyway. So uh, major sporting events, Nick. You tend to sail through uh, with your chauffeur waving at fans, but um, even you must have seen carnage here and there. Uh, like, like you, I've spent more more than uh, my fair share of time in the cattle pens, and um, I'm uh, I, I I do believe that um, fans who are stumping up to go and support uh, big sporting events, being there, creating the atmosphere. Uh, giving the whole thing the uh, the kudos that it deserves are being shafted. Um, they're being totally mistreated in terms of especially travel and accommodation. You know, they're, they're major bugbears. We've been on Lions tours, World Cups, where we see the prices jacked up, you know, tenfold. Uh, sometimes the latest one is uh, we've got European uh, rugby, I think rightly, has given... A, a European Cup final to Spain. Uh, we're now talking about the same jacking up of prices going on in Bilbao as it's gone on everywhere else. It's time that the rugby organisations, whether they're the Lions or whether they're ERC or whatever, or EPCR or whatever it is, that they actually get agreements from the local tourist boards beforehand, which mean that there is a range of prices that cannot be inflated to the degree that they are. Very good point, Nick. Um, 
uh, gave gave all that a fair, a fair dusting, I felt. And um, if you want to write into us with your own moans about the, your experiences of going to games, please do. Two more very quick things. A result I can commend to you from Saturday. The great Cardiff Club, uh, Cardiff RFC, playing at home, 21 points. RGC, which is Rugby Gocklith Cymru. Um, thank you to Steve Bell for your pronunciation um, lessons on that. 64, 64-21. RGC are the pride of North Wales. Not been in existence for that long, but have already forced their way up into the Premiership, which they won last year. They also won the, the Welsh Cup. Now they're third in the Premiership in a very competitive league. So really marvellous because North Wales uh, has made so little contribution to Welsh rugby over the years. Now they've got a real good team there and we've had people writing to us to say we should mention them. So we'll be monitoring those. Finally, a story that reflects brilliantly on rugby and the people who play it. On the weekend, Ed Jackson, the former Dragons number eight, climbed Snowdon. Um, anyone could do that. I could do that. But it was only a year since Ed suffered a, a profound injury in a swimming pool accident. He was told he might never walk again. That was just a year ago. Well, um, he climbed Snowden still with splints and still with sticks. I think other people just walking up normally in bad weather gave up. He stuck it out till the end and he made it. He was walking in aid of Restart Rugby, which is a charity which looks after players. A uh, brilliant effort by, by Ed. Um, his his personality and his dynamism has been fantastic. Sometimes we get down on players and we get down on the game itself and its concepts, and I, and I think rightly so. But Ed reminds us that actually at heart, it still has goodness and heroes who play it. Thank you for listening to The Wreck. Thank you to Al, uh, Nick and Adam for joining us. We'll be back next week. Please stay in touch. Please keep downloading.